Okay, so before I do that, um, I just want to talk a little bit about um, my thinking over the last couple of weeks and you know, since, since I took over from Eric and what I've chosen for the services ahead and where we've been moving. Uh, taking, right, uh, taking over right at the start of the core values uh, made the choice of sermons quite easy, but I did choose to make sure that um, those who were giving the sermons were people who were either in this church or had been part of the church. Uh, so I made a conscious decision not to bring in outside speakers, people who had been regular to the church, so they know this situation and they know the members of this church. Um, and so that they could apply uh, those core values specifically to us. Now, I chose to go for the seven core values that we've got up on the wall rather than the 10 that are on the website. Uh, and Craig uh, uh, did summarize those 10 into seven uh, because I thought that rather than spending over two months looking at core values, um, we should really be returning to biblical teaching. Not that the core values weren't grounded in the Bible. I think that that's important. But, you know, I think I've talked before about how I chose this church because, simply because it was so grounded in biblical teaching. But um, I have to confess, I am not, I would not use the label Baptist, uh, even though I went to a, a Baptist church occasionally as a child. I would not label myself as a Baptist. The only word apart from Christian which I would label myself is evangelical. Evangelical comes from the word evangel, which comes from, which means gospel. So evangelical means that we believe in the gospel or that we believe that faith, our faith stems from the very word of God. And obviously that has a knock-on effect to, to cause us to be evangelistic. I've spoken, um, yeah, so for me, the most important thing that a church can be doing is faithfully preaching uh, the word of God, the Bible, and doing it in an expositionary way. That means that rather than taking a theme and saying, these are the passages that support the theme, we take a book and we open up the book. Now, the first time I came across that was when I uh, went to university and I, I went to my you know, first church in London, uh, which is the place where, where we actually got the Bible studies from, St. Helens, Bishopsgate. I was there for 13 years. And it blew my mind away just how if you take a book, in fact, the, the books of the Bible, and you open it and you go consistently through, it does teach on every topic. Uh, and every topic over a year should be or will be covered and the bible's teaching is important now uh last week my cousin alistair uh um uh preached on an overview of uh, the gospel of luke and that's important because in the bible studies as i said we're covering uh the gospel of luke uh, and we keep going back to the gospels because that is the foundation of our faith the uh, death, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. And we base our hope on that one pivotal point in history. Without that, we are lost. Obviously, there's creation, and then we're looking forward to the day that he returns, judgment and eternity in heaven. That one pivotal point in history, and that, that one man, Jesus, 
who is God, who we base our foundation on. So that's why it's important to keep going back to the Gospels and why so many of our, um, so many of our uh, uh, sermons are on the Gospels. But from that, I'm going to return to the Old Testament. And you might ask, why should we look at the Old Testament? Um, well, there's a couple of reasons, if you don't already know. Uh, drawing from the New Testament, Hebrews 13.8 uh, says, Jesus is the same to yesterday and today and forever. So Jesus was there at the beginning. And, uh, and it will be there at the end. And we read that in the Bible. We see that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word. Jesus is God. And he was there at the beginning and will be there at the end. Jesus is, uh, and God is also the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And he was there at the beginning and will be there at the end. He does not change. So we have the same God through Old Testament and New Testament. There is no difference. And those who, who believe that the New Old Testament is a fiery, judgmental God obviously don't know the New Testament at all. And those who believe that the New Testament is different because he's a, a loving, caring, warm and fuzzy God who reaches out with this uh, idea of modern-day love. Well, we'll see that in, as we look through Ruth. We see that loving God who cares and protects. And we see that throughout all of the Old Testament. We see them lifting up widows and orphans. And that's what we're going to see in Ruth. And also, 2 Timothy, the apostle, in 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul says, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you're looking at your Bibles, you'll realize this is the NIV version, the, the version that uh, as a child, or sorry, as a university student, I learned as a memory verse. It is important that we have those core memory, well, those core Bible verses in our hearts. I'm not going to say it's essential, but I think it, it's helped me so much in my life especially at dark times where I can draw on those verses and recall them and know that God has promised me those, those things because he stays true to those promises. You see that all scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training so that we are equipped for God, uh, for every good work. I'm sure that most of us are fairly familiar with the gospels. Although um, I remember studying John's gospel at my old church in the first real Bible study where we went through John's gospel for the first time as a whole throughout a whole year, like we did two years ago with the men's Bible study. And it blew my mind. And again, it was amazing doing it two years ago with the men's Bible study. And I hope that this year, with all the Bible studies, Luke's gospel, going through it consistently week on week. And really, I would encourage you to, to attend regularly and if not, catch up so that you know what's going on. Seeing that flow of the gospel and God working 
through the gospel, all of it pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus is important. And we, we see that in the Old Testament. We see that lens that all of the Old Testament is pointing towards that point. So, rather than taking a, a, just passages here and there and applying it to our own themes, and I would like to think that you know, preachers who do that do it faithfully, having been to Bible you know, school, and, but it would be so easy to convert those to, to our own thoughts and themes. We're going to be looking at Ruth over the next four weeks. And actually, it doesn't take you very long to read at all. So please, over the next couple of weeks, please do sit down and read Ruth. It's, uh, it is an entertaining read. I, I will uh, guarantee you that if you haven't read it before, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit uh, uh, in a minute. Um, and it should help us, as Paul says, Equip us for every good work. So, let me read. Uh, if you want to get your Bibles, then it's uh, Ruth chapter 1. Um, just after the judges and just before the kings. Naomi widowed. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And a man in, of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the, country, uh, in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The man, name of the man was sorry. and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Marlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech and the, hus uh, the husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite women, sorry, Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was uh, other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Marlon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughter, uh, daughters-in-law and returned from the country of Moab. For she had heard that in, in the fields of Moab, the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her, her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with, uh, with the dead and with me. The, uh, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have, have I yet sons uh, in my wombs, the, the womb that, you, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night 
and she'd bear sons, would you therefore wait till they, they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for, the, for your sake that the, the hand of the Lord has gone ag uh, out against me. Then they lifted, up, uh, lifted their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung, clung to her. And she said, and she said, see your sister-in-law, just realized I'm reading the wrong version. Uh, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from, you, from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the old town was stirred because of them. And the women said, to, said is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the, Lord, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Lord has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth, uh, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, was uh, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to, to Bethlehem at the beginning of, the, of barley harvest. Let me pray as we go on. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, over 2,000 years ago, almost 3,000 years ago, these words still resonate with us. They still have something to teach us. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit is in us, teaching us and guiding us and helping us to grow more like you. Help us to have humble and open hearts and minds to listen to your word. And we pray that you are uh, changing us so that we can witness to you and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Ruth is an interesting little book. But before we begin actually diving into the passage, which is really important, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of book is it? You see... It's not your normal history book with dates and names, although it gives us plenty of names and some context setting us in the time of the judges. Is it a romance novel? Because there certainly is uh, a certain Elizabeth Bennet kind of character who is Ruth, strong, independent, head, you know, headstrong, certainly stubborn. She's uh, that kind of woman. Or the Boaz being her Mr. Darcy, those of you who like Pride and Prejudice. Uh, well, it's not quite. Or perhaps it's a, a dating manual. I was uh, 
told yesterday that I should get a girlfriend. Uh, as a single man, it's universally acknowledged. Um, but uh, yeah, and I've, over the years, I've been told many times that I need a wife, obviously. Um, well, I'm not sure that uh, I don't know how, whether I would advise young ladies who are watching this to lay out their future husband's feet. What Read later on in the, the passage in, your, in the book and you'll get what I mean by that. That's not advice I would give to young ladies. And certainly I don't know how I would encourage that in any young ladies wanting to date me, um, or how that would translate into modern, uh, modern times, whether that's something that can tra translate into uh, today's con uh, etiquette. So um, if anyone has any ideas how that would work, please let me know. Is it a soap opera? I mean, we certainly have the, the, the deaths and the drama and the mother-in-law, the pushy mother-in-law, um, and the romance, obviously, and the drama, um, and the, the strong different types of character. And it does keep us entertained. As I said, do read it. It is uh, entertaining. Perhaps it's a contextualized manual for Jewish feminism. I've certainly heard that being pushed before. Now, if you've heard of the Bechtel test, Surprisingly, so the Bechtel test is a test for, uh, used uh, for Hollywood films to show how terrible Hollywood films now are for be showing gender equality. And I quite like it. It's not a, a litmus test, it's not a, a foolproof test, but it is quite interesting to see how many Hollywood films fail it. So it has three conditions, and we're going to test Ruth on these. Okay, the first one is that it has at least two named women, sorry, uh, two female characters. Um, yeah, sorry, named female characters. And yes, we definitely have that. We have three, even in the first, uh, first chapter. Secondly, do they talk to each other? And you'd be surprised at how many films there are who have strong women female characters but none of them ever talk to each other. Here we see definitely, yes, they do talk to each other. And finally, the, the third test, again, it's amazing that these things don't happen. Do they talk to each other about something other than the main male, female, sorry, main male character? And again, it's surprising the number of films that fail that. But here we see in the first chapter, it, it does pass that. Is this a manual for Jewish feminism or just general feminism for the, the modern day Christian? No, I don't think so. Well, let's have a look at what it is. We can see in the, right at the beginning and right at the end, and beware there are spoilers, and hopefully this isn't too much of a spoiler for you. Chapter one starts with, in the, uh, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a family in the land. So it puts into context. And at the end, we see, right at the end in chapter four, we see now these, were the, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathers Aminadab. Aminadab uh, fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz, our main male character. 
Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. You see, Ruth is the father of, sorry, the mother. <laughs> Ruth is the mother of Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of the great king David, who brings about the golden age of Jewish history and gives us a shining example to look forward to, to the greatest king. And he is the ancestor of the greatest king of all, Jesus. So, what is this book, Ruth? Well, Ruth is a historical biography, isn't it? Long before the History Channel was giving us these big sweeps of history and then narrowing in to these slightly dubious, over-dramatic reenactments of you know, these historical figures. We don't have that. We, hear, we have a Jewish historian here who records, records the goings-on of this family faithfully. It's not trying to derive from uh, the facts that we know from history. We have a real historian uh, recording the story of these two widows. So let's have a look at the text. This first chapter paints a pretty miserable picture, doesn't it? Two widows, Naomi, who's lost her husband, and her two sons, and forced to leave the land that she's moved to and return. We don't know whether she always planned to return or whether Elimelech ever uh, planned to return. Some of us know that kind of displacement. Some of us have found homes in new countries. But... Being forced to return is never a pleasant thing. And we can see it in her voice as she pleads with her daughters-in-law to do the sensible thing and go back to their families. You see, it is a sensible thing because she can't have any more daughters. And what use is it for these young ladies to be tying themselves to uh, an old widow who probably cannot marry again or will struggle to marry again? And she asks that she be called Mara, which means bitter, because she is bitter. And because it's too painful to hear even her own name, Naomi, which means pleasant. She rails against God in verse 20 and 21, saying, The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me, and I went and I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Perhaps it's appropriate that we look to Ruth at this time. It's a difficult time. How do we deal with the disasters that are around us, the disasters in our life, the difficulties of the pandemic, whether they be emotional, relational, economic. It can be difficult, I know it's difficult financially for some people in the church. I know it's difficult emotionally for some people who struggle without their family, without, uh, 
without their friends, without being able to see people. Not everyone's a loner, very comfortable on my own like me, and, but even I struggle with that. With mental health, there is bound to be many people in the church who struggle with mental health issues. We've seen that with Eric, who has had to return to, uh, to the Netherlands. So we continue to pray for each other and look after each other and encourage each other. But let's have a look at how Ruth does this. Should we, like Naomi, rail against God? Should we, like so many, turn, against, turn away from God? Should we stop encouraging one another? Should we stop meeting? Should we stop meeting and lapse until we find that God has no place in our daily lives at all? Please, I would encourage those people who are watching this, who are not here, who are not going to the Bible studies, please remember to meet one another, meet other Christians and encourage one another. But let's have a look again at this. Despite Naomi railing against God, despite Naomi's bitterness, she has not forgotten God. Despite the difficult times, and we see this also if you study the book of uh, Job, he struggles and he even uh, questions God, but he does not forget God. Look at the passage in verse 6. The reason she returns to Israel is because she had heard that the Lord had uh, visited his people. In verse 8, the blessing she wishes on her daughters is that the Lord treats them kindly. And then in verse 9, that they find husbands again. So she asks God to find them husbands. It's no mistake that Ruth calls upon God in, the vow, uh, in her vow, in one of the most striking speeches in the Old Testament, verse 16. Verse 16 says, Do not urge me to leave or uh, you or return from, uh, from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be uh, my God. When I die, and there I will be buried, may the Lord, Yahweh, that is, do so to me, uh, and more also, if anything but, the, uh, but death parts me from you. Regardless of her railing against, her God, against God and her bitterness, she has taught her daughters. So, I mean, I'm sure that Elimelech taught her, his sons. Naomi taught, continued to teach her sons and encourage her sons to teach their wives about the law and the God of her people. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ruth calls upon this God because she has learned about him from Naomi. And the passage, while well, it ends with hope, doesn't it? As they arrive in Bethlehem, they arrive at the, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Just as we come through the darkest night, 
we see just a glimmer of the light of dawn at the end of this passage. But I think it's more than that. For those who actually know their Jewish history, they might have started to spot the other signs. Let's see whether any of you did. I'm not going to turn that camera around and quiz you. Who else was driven from their land because of famine? Well, let's see. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of them were driven from their land because of famine, only to return to the promised land. Who else struggled with childlessness? Well, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. We see the echoes of these similarities. And where others might see strange coincidences, we know that God is at work here. The repetition in the Bible, these echoes, these mirroring of the past, this is God showing that he is at work and that he has a plan. It wasn't a plan that Elimelech saw. But he was faithful to God in teaching his sons and eventually knocking on to to his daughters-in-law who he never saw. He taught them about God and Naomi taught them about God and they kept faith in God. And Naomi returns to the land because of her God. So what should we take away from this? Well, even in difficult times, we must keep faith in God who longs to give us all good things. Elimelech's life just seemed miserable, same with Naomi, but she had two sons and she saw them getting married. And eventually she sees her daughter who has been faithful to her and love her give birth to another son who is called the son of Naomi at the end. Read it, read chapter four. The son of Naomi, Obed, sorry, the son of Ruth is put into Naomi's lap and called the son of Naomi. And we must keep faith in the God who has a plan for our lives, not necessarily for our fleeting happiness. We are promised joy, and peace, peace that transcends all understanding, but we are not promised happiness. We know that we only have the, uh, those completely when we join him in heaven. Even the joy and peace we are promised is not complete until we join God in heaven. But we are promised that place in heaven. On this earth, God has a plan for his greater glory. And regardless of whether we do it so willingly or like we've been reading about Jonah, kicking and screaming and complaining, God will work through us to to fulfill his plan. So in the men's Bible study, we studied Jonah and what a terribly complaining 
you know, negative person he is. Reminds me of me at my worst times, sadly. And gives me this reflection. <coughs> Challenges me on that point. <coughs> Regardless of whether we go so willingly or, uh, or negatively and resisting, God will use us in his plans. But isn't it so much better when we do it willingly and joyfully and in his service? Because he also promises us rewards for that. Elimelech means my God is my king. We're not promised a happy ending. The Bible is brutally honest about that. But we are promised that place in heaven and that he will work his plans through us. And this will result in the greatest of joys, which will be the next life when we will be reunited with God. And so that's what we should be looking at. We look back at the crucifixion and death and the salvation that God has provided so that we can be in a relationship with us. So he can be in a relationship with us to provide us with perfect joy and perfect peace. And we look forward to the day when he returns. And we see the glimmer of that at the end of this, the harvest, when God will reap the harvest, which will be the believers. Let me pray. Father, let us not lose hope. Let us long to be with you and be with all the saints in eternity. But while we are here, help us to uh, see your plan if it's possible. If it's your will, let us see your plan and let us take joy in it and willfully and joyfully go to serving you in it. Lord, we pray, send us and use us. To your great glory. Amen.